Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. I'm Michael Curzon and I'm joined this week by Frederick Edward. Frederick, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. The sun's out. No mushroom clouds over the horizon yet from my bedroom window, so things are looking up. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, that obviously is the topic we'll be, we'll be discussing today, the, the impending nuclear uh, doom for all of us. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those, isn't it? We've been doing the Week in Review for a bit over a year. We started trying to talk about a range of topics uh, each week. We'd have free stories uh, that, that each host would bring forward. Um, and as time went on, we inevitably talked for a whole hour only about COVID only about lockdown or about the, the sort of the faux reopening. Um, and now much the same with Russia. It's almost, it, it, it's pointless looking at the other news, it seems sometimes because of all that's going on here, at least it takes up plenty of time. Um, and one of the themes we've been discussing before we started recording that we'll be talking about today is the response to what's been happening and the way in which um, we, we have all of a sudden I mean, I suppose anti-Russian sentiment has been about for quite a while anyway. Um, every every election that's been won over the past sort of six years or the, the rise of populism has been blamed on Russia, uh, Brexit, Trump, all of it, Putin. Um, and then you know, we have the, the, the casual comments as well. And of course, any way to stoke that even further is for Russia to invade Ukraine. That that wasn't. No, they exactly haven't helped. They haven't they helped. Haven't helped the saying, and no, it's all overblown. You don't need to worry too much. It's all fake news. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Vlad rolls a tank and think, "Oh no." Yeah, that's not going to help. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that Peter Hitchens has been talking about with this is that Russia has sort of turned itself into a country, at least um, for the next few decades, probably for our lifetimes where people just don't visit, you ignore the country, um, you, you don't associate it, you don't trade with it, that this is you know, country all around the world. How likely do you think that is? Do you think that by the time we're having to rely on a walking stick to, to trotter along, that Russia is still gonna be essentially a no-go zone? I mean, I think it, to some extent it already was. Um, I, so I lived in Russia for a year, yeah. um, came back at the end of last year and Whilst I was there, I had a very much the sensation that this is a this is a almost a civil civilization in its right that I knew almost nothing of before engaging with it through personal reasons, and it's just yeah, I, that's only going to get worse now. So I think actually understanding we have already. Sorry, there's a helicopter passing overhead just as I start speaking. Hope you can't hear that. That must be some that must be supplies going to Donbass. Yeah. Um, Sorry, it's passed now. Like to start again. Yeah, so I, I, I do think there is going to be that shift to lack of understanding. It's, I had a similar feeling once when I was in China. You get there and all of a sudden you realise that it's its own world and the people there think very differently and they're completely at odds in some ways with our Western liberal conception of the world. And yeah, it's, it, that lack of understanding fuels everything that's happened up, up until now. And I think that's only probably only going to get worse. And it's not only sort of the Russia of today, which we see being uh, pushed out of our lives, but even the Russia of the past. So one of the one of the uh, one of the biggest stories over the last couple of weeks, or stories, I suppose, since it's been a collection of them, is the barring of of either Russian musicians today from um, from concerts and from orchestras, but also the banning of Russian music. So Tchaikovsky has been. Uh, kicked out of the, I think it was the Cardiff Philharmonic, um, and they said that 
playing 1812 wouldn't feel right at this time was something something along those lines um, no it's beyond pathetic it's um that we should dis, you know we should be trying our hardest to disassociate russian culture and also the russian people from the actions of their government mm. um, especially given the nature of the system of government in russia you know, i would hate to be labeled as responsible for the actions of the british government lord knows i'm no particular fan of basically anything that they do at any point and yet to say that i would be responsible and i have a vote you know, for my local mp whereas russians so they have a vote but to what extent it is um, free and fair remains up for debate they would tell you it's very free and fair but yeah it's so we're, and we're doing all of this in the kind of moral on onanism and we forget that actually this is just you know this is just everything that we do it can be used by russia to show to what extent the west is against them if you watch the russian news which i do um they love using the stuff like saying facebook and instagram said that you could call for violence against the russians russian invaders or whatever you want to call them yeah. in southern eastern european countries they led with that story they said you know, oh look the western elite big tech wants to kill you and everything that we do along these lines is just pushing ordinary Russians further away. And we spent so long talking about hearts and minds. It's always hearts and minds. Not now. No. It's not the hearts and minds. We just got to go. It's, it's just um, they're a legitimate boogeyman. Yeah. And so how, how we've how we've had this kind of about turn. I'm curious to say the least. If we know. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is an interesting point, especially with the, so I think Facebook said, the statement from Facebook was quite confusing, actually, because it it, it was reported as being Russian invaders were mm. was fair game for attack, but their actual statement was um, mm. Russians in the context of the invasion. So does that mean any Russian citizens, so long as you mentioned the invasion, it was a bit, it's a bit hard to tell, um, but mm. people did quickly warn about this you're playing into Putin's hands, essentially, because as you say, they'll use this, they'll, they'll use this quite happily, actually, and, and very quickly and say, um, look, we were right, we've told you all along that the West's hate, the, the West hates you, this proves our point, and sort of the, the banning of, of, of previous composers, for example, as well, shows that um, it's not about, or at least in, in their perspective, it's not about the politics of today, but about Russians more generally, and is, is used to, in their own favour, but um, it is an interesting question of of the extent to which the Russians do support the invasion, the Russian people, because some people, for example, will call this um, Putin's invasion and try and distance it as much as possible from the Russian people more generally, um, whereas others will accuse all Russians of being in favour. I'm sure the truth is actually yeah. in the middle. Well, even if you look at some of the propaganda that's pushed out, it's got to be accepted, perhaps, that a lot of people might actually believe this, so might actually support the... Yeah, the well, they, you know, of course, people pick and choose which labels they want. You have the um, White House saying Putin's gas price rises. Yeah, so yeah. they're happy to call it Putin's in that case. But in terms of the Russian population, it's, um, you know, it comes back to... I know. So, okay, let's say a lot, some have been in favour and they cite reasons that are wholly unintelligible for most Western Europeans, whether that's a result of the reporting that we've had or the mindset, I'm not entirely sure. So I asked my friend in Russia what he thought of the invasion and he said, uh, 
in broken English, yes, it's good. Um, cannot tolerate more. We cannot, res we cannot put up with it. And I thought he meant Western encroachments of NATO, European Union, but he meant the, the Nazis, as he called them, right. in Ukraine, the right. fascists. And that's what the news leads with. It always talks about the, um, the fascist sympathizers or the Nazis in the Ukrainian government. So it, the, it's a completely different world that we're looking at. Yeah. Um, but in terms, in terms of whether they support it, we don't, I know lots of Russians who feel entirely alienated by this blanket um, accusation that Russians are wholly, all Russians, you know, it's, it's blood guilt by virtue of their passport, they are responsible. And people who were formerly incredibly against the war and still are against the war, but feel like they've been pushed into a corner over it. Um, things are losing quality that we're pursuing. We, we should be courting these people. We should be courting the sort of young, freedom-looking people in Russia and not forcing them into a corner where they feel like they're being oppressed merely for the fact that they're Russian. Hmm. Yeah. Now, in terms of the reports, you say you've been, you know, watching some Russian TV and are in uh, some contact with people. Well, I can't access it anymore. Sorry, it's been just to interrupt. It's um, banned on YouTube. I can't... I, I used to go on the VPN because to uh, go find... Um, First channel, it's called. It's like them, it's like their BBC. Can't that access it. Where the, the lady uh, interrupted with the, the placard. Uh, yes, yeah, the very same. Yeah, can't access that um, on YouTube at all. So, yeah, that's gone. So now I watch um, Western slanted Russian news. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, from, from what you have seen, then, and um, I mean, I don't, I don't know as well how much, how much contact you're in with some people in Russia, but. Um, Obviously, on, on this side, what mm. we're seeing from reports um, is a, a focus on, uh, you know, the the attacks on, I think there's a maternity ward was was one report. Um, we've seen sort of apartment blocks, all things yeah. unmilitary, essentially. That's the perspective we're seeing. Um, mm. And I'm sure that on the other side, I mean, it's it's referred to as a as a special operation. Um, mm. So that you can tell already from from that alone that the 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 perspective is very different. Do you think people in Russia, from what they see on the news, uh, from the terminology that's used around this, and from what what they hear from from Vladimir Putin, understand actually what is happening in Ukraine, or do you think it is very much a, a slanted view, and that maybe uh, levels of support are slightly higher than they might otherwise be because they're not getting a full picture? As acceptably, we aren't on this side, but just... Well, yeah, I mean, let, let me ask a question back. Do we fully understand what's happening in Ukraine? No, I don't want to. This is the... Um, this, I, so I um, look at the Western media portrayal of what's happening and the Russian media portrayal of what's happening. Mm. <laughs> like and they're polar opposite. In the yeah. West, there is, you know, crying, crying Russian soldiers and burnt-out Russian vehicles and supply chain problems and everything like that. And the Russians are going to collapse within moments yep. any day now. And then you go onto a Russian news source and it's the same, but in reverse. And it's, you know, Ukrainians yep. giving up. And then, of course, with some humanitarian stories thrown into the mix. And also, you know, talking about um, attacks on kindergartens and um, maternity hospitals and that kind of thing. The Russians say that that's where the Ukrainians are, you know, have their firing positions. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. and this is, and so who you believe 
Well, I don't, well, I don't believe anybody. That's my policy. I don't, this truth is going to be somewhere in between these two extremes. But it's what you see in things like Israel-Palestine as well. Yes. You know, people will choose points to fire from that are going to, going to attract the most media attention when there's retaliation. And, and, so, and some of it's also, um, they're looking for these human tragedies as well. I, I read one report, I forget which city it was, were hiding in a church or taking shelter in a church. Mm. And they said that the Russians were shelling the church to kill, and, and the implication being to kill without mercy all the, all the people inside. And you actually read the news story, and it's like a, and a Rus- it said that a Russian shell landed 50 meters away. And, and if you're using artillery or mortars, you're not, it's very hard to get pinpoint action on these things. And who knows? You know, it's, it's, all, it's, it's a propaganda war, yep. first and foremost. Mm. And but to come back to your question about the Russian support for it, I think it very much depends on the generation that we're talking about. Right. If people are, I think this is true for most, a lot of Russian politics, Old, older generations, those who went through the 90s, the turmoil, end of the Soviet Union, um, and who saw basically the crisis that Russia went through, they see Putin as Mr. Strong and stable, not to borrow a phrase from <laughs> Theresa May. Um, oh, there's, there's plenty of comparisons. Um. <laughs> yeah, I can think of a few. Um, Putin's kitten here was a great no, um, and so they they tend to buy into it more because they they you know Russia has a very different approach to its leaders. They've never been a democracy. They they have they've always had a strong leader, and they're much more likely to fall into line behind whatever's said. Um, and I think for people who don't have as much access to information online, say you know, people in their fifties, sixties, whatever. They will just watch the news and will generally believe it. But when you get to people who are younger, um, our age, I'm not sure how old you are actually, but roughly the same age, um, they have a lot more access to international news and they'll be a lot more skeptical. And, but then again, come back to the point that it's this skeptical generation that are also being punished for their government's actions. There's things like um, a number of nations are not, are refusing to accept international students from Russia now. Yep. And a lot of Russians, are desperate to study abroad because they see that as a way of you know, ingratiating themselves in a Western-style society. And it's still, it's the, the brand of the West is still attractive to a lot of these people. Mm. And we're doing our utmost to screw that up. I think we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I um, when, just going back to the points on orchestra that we, we mentioned a while ago, um, when I saw this, it reminded me of a, of a conductor um, who I think some decades ago, probably because um, Wagner was, was banned in, in many areas due to its, um, its use by the, the Nazis <clears throat> for some time after the second world war. And it took uh, a, a Jewish conductor um, who conducts a, an orchestra made up of, of people from Israel and Palestine and across uh, plenty of other areas. You know, the whole point is to unite these people. Um, behind the front of music it took this man to to go to an audience and ask can can we play Wagner here because this is ridiculous after after some decades and there was uproar even when he did it Um, but I think after after people got over the shock and the horror um, it it all settled down so I'm I'm rather hoping someone like that jumps up again in in this case because it would just be 
Well, you, we saw, we've seen other colleges, for example, try and ban Dostoevsky and, and Tolstoy um, because of their, their country of origin. People who died, what, 150 years before Putin got... Yeah, and, who's, and whose literature speaks to sort of eternal human truths, you know, mm. and we're going to try and ban them because they were born in the Russian Empire. They think it's just... There's such levels of absurdity and hysteria that we rarely see only every once every six months now. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, I wish. Um, on, on this point, then, so we've talked about Western reports on, on how Russia is, is approaching this. And we see um, in the West, we hear about the, the attacks on, on this and that civilian area constantly. Mm-hmm. Yet the next headline is Russians doomed to fail. And we hear about all the losses which are uh, taken invariably from the Ukrainian Ministry of Defence. And so might be slightly slanted, as, as will the Russian mm-hmm. Uh, defense ministry be but there, there is the idea constantly that that putin is always being humiliated is always on the on a losing track um that the invasion is definitely destined to fail and that ukraine will be glorious um despite its its much smaller capabilities in this arena why do you think that's come about and and what um well how, how true do you think that is first of all i can guess the answer but i think it's overblown well, you know, I, I'm not privy to detailed Russian invasion plans, so it's very difficult for me to give a good answer. And this is one of the things that I found most enraging is that everybody is suddenly a military expert. I'm yeah. certainly a military expert. I don't know what the Russian invasion plan is. Well, like we were all epidemiologists uh, 12 months ago. Well, yeah, quite, quite. Now, if Russia, it, it strikes that Russia isn't employing all of their military assets. You know, the Russians have many, many more jets than Ukrainians do, and they're still not obliterating. They, they could control the air. I mean, I just, I'm skeptical about any reports about Russian failings, not because I'm some Putin fan. I'm certainly not particularly, but just, um, I, is it wishful thinking? Is it propaganda? Is it, I'll, 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 maybe, are we just encouraging these brave Ukrainians to go and fight for their um, motherland? urging them on, giving them a Kalashnikov and an N-law and saying, off you go, yeah. you're doing a great job, Slava Ukraina, and we watch them all get blown to pieces, but we still feel good about ourselves sitting in, um, you know, in the, com- in the still relatively comfy areas of Western Europe or North America. I think that's, uh, yeah, I... Yeah. Just, just quickly on that, I think that's a really important point, because as you say, if you, if you question Ukrainian capability in this, and if you suggest, actually, the Russians aren't yet using their full force, they're more capable than we might think they are, um, and that we ought to be a bit wary about saying it'll be over for them in days. Over by Christmas. Yeah, over by Christmas. Well, if only. I mean, that's, <laughs> I think we'd be lucky. Um, with, you know, the, the instant accusation, as you say, you, you had to say that I'm no fan of Putin, um, yeah. just to say the obvious. The, the instant accusation is, oh, you must be... Um, you must be pro-Russia in this, you must be anti-Ukrainian all this, but surely by egging them on further, the Ukrainians, by saying, go on, you're going you're gonna to get this guy, you're going to humiliate him, it's going to be an easy job. You're causing the death of more and more Ukrainian men right. who are fighting incredibly bravely. Um, I mean, can you imagine um, if, if such an invasion were to take place in this country, seeing Boris Johnson... Uh, stand behind and fight in a in a khaki t-shirt or or any of the oh, no. I can't well, they, have those, of. 
No, they had these um, opinion polls of how many people be willing to fight for their country uh, yeah. in Europe and the rates in Western Europe. So basically it decreases the further west you go. So in right. Ukraine, it's like 60% of people willing to pick up a Kalashnikov. And then once you get to about, once you get to Islington, it's about one and a half percent. Yeah, which is no surprise. You know, it, it can't be it can't be overplayed how how brave a lot of these people are. It really is. No, I, um, I'm not really really not trying to put put them down in any way. God knows, what, put them up. What the hell they're going them from being killed pointlessly. That's the frustrating well, thing about this. Yeah, and if, and this is a product of the reporting as well. I mean, how are people going there? Is it thinking it's going to be a jolly and that the Ukrainians are just going to walk it? And then we, we, you hear about all the Russian losses, but you don't hear about the Ukrainian losses. No, um, other than of civilians. Really report, yeah, only, yeah, no, indeed. But, the, you know, the Ukrainian soldiers or the foreign soldiers who are fighting for them, you don't hear about them. You'd have um, no idea I, if you look to Western press. No idea. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I saw, uh, I'm on a Russian telegram channel. It's in English, but it basically reports the war from the Russian side. Right. And they had pictures of um, people's kits that they found uh, after they'd been killed. And they're people with flags from Mississippi and LIDs from, you know, basically American soldiers who'd gone over there at some point. You don't hear about these people. And, you know, wars, just the, the most horrendous thing that humans are capable of. And mm. we should be doing our best to implement, a, you know, a lasting peace. We're not. We're encouraging people to get blown to smithereens, all yeah. from the comfort of our living rooms. Yeah. It, it might be different if we were actually going to go on, you know, take the Eurostar drive to Kharkiv with our super soakers in, 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 in hold, but yeah, it's, we're not doing it. No. Uh, it's, it's, it's all, I've, for me, it's another symptom of cost-free morality and mm. um, virtue signaling, to use the phrase. We all, and there's no reaction to anything that happens in the West for the last very long period of time. We can say or do pretty much whatever we want, and reality hasn't doesn't slapped us across the face. And, and yet, we're asking people to make the greatest sacrifice and promising them what in return? I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I, I think there's there's lots and lots of comparisons. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago with uh, um, on an episode with William Clouston. So many comparisons with COVID. I mean. At the beginning, everybody was all for the lockdowns. After two years, people started to say, uh, well, maybe we went in a bit too hard. Maybe it wasn't right. Maybe it did cost a lot. And he thought, right, people are starting to be sceptical. That's great. And then as soon as Russia-Ukraine started, all of that scepticism uh, was shoved straight back under the carpet. And um, we were all gung-ho about it again. And, and any, any idea that what we're reading might not be 100% what is happening was yeah. completely forgotten about. Maybe we'll remember in another two years, by, by which point it will, of course, be too late. Um, but another comparison... No, there'll, there'll be something else in two years to worry about. Well, that's, yeah, that's true. Another comparison with, with what you just said about the, you know, you can, you can sit back over here and talk about it easily because you're at no risk yourself. I think a lot of people who are most for the lockdowns had quite comfortable situations. I mean, all of the politicians and the journalists and the lawyers who didn't challenge the lockdowns, uh, so on and so forth, would have had very nice gardens, uh, perhaps local walking areas they could engage on, uh, quite enjoyed not doing a, a regular commute 
and were happy to work casually from home and so wrote in the media and pushed through in the laws and didn't challenge for the courts these things which did so much harm to other people same in this well, case course, yeah, yeah. Um, well, and the equivalent would also be um in terms of paying for it economically yeah we're being told that we have to stomach the yeah. massive increase in petrol prices diesel prices gas prices whatever as part of our moral quest to defeat you know hitler 2.0 yeah. um and this is all very well spoken by politicians or people on very comfortable incomes living in nice areas but if it hasn't already dawned upon people we're hardly in the best shape economically no. before this struck you know we this is this is the problem with having a constant knee-jerk reaction to every single minor crisis that comes along when a real one does come along you finally found that you haven't kept your powder dry and you're um up a certain creek without a paddle it, how much economic damage did we inflict on ourselves unnecessarily in hindsight over covid and yeah. now we have supply chain you know, grinding to a halt we have diesel supplies you know the petrol station here is one was it one pound 95 for diesel or something mm. yeah, this is just absurdly high levels and this is all just yeah and what does the government do says oh yeah we'll we'll, we'll help the cost of living crisis and what it's all it's just all just insincere and asking other people to bear every single cost for their idiotic decisions yeah you know, and it's, it's accumulates one giant horrible snowball effect mm. well at the same time one of the one of the most frustrating themes for this i think has been discussions around negotiations between uh, Ukraine and Russia. So we, mm. we, we spend so much time in the Western media focusing on the damage being done, on the lives being lost. Possibly not enough time, actually. Um, mm. I mean, if we were to look at it from a slightly different angle, but still, talk about the losses, it's important. But then as soon as it comes to negotiations, we say, well, Putin is, as you just said, Hitler 2.0. We can't deal with monsters. This only ends when he's gone, when Russia is out of Ukraine, full stop. Then you think, surely, if this is as horrible as you're saying it is, and actually it might be even more horrible if you were in the middle of this, oh, I can't comprehend it. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people <laughs> sat in a comfortable seat scribbling about it. I don't deny that. Long, long may it last. Well, exactly, yeah. And, um, and it's because of that privilege, really, that I, that I want this to end as, as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And the idea that we can't negotiate with Putin because he's a, a hideous monster, well, fine. But who can we negotiate with? Sorry, yes, Putin may not be a, you know, a bag of newly born Labrador puppies, but he, but we're happy to go hack up in hand to every other dodgy character around the globe we've yeah. we, we, nobody would dare say anything bad about Xi Jinping you know yeah. nobody called a war criminal to his face as Joe Biden keeps doing nor I mean, either going to Venezuela Saudi Arabia going to all these slightly dodgy places because we've completely messed up our own um size of vital raw materials yeah and yet somehow Putin is is, is the sole monster that we need to be concerned with it's it's all we're all very selective on our morality, you know, we can't, and, and also this is to elide into a different topic slightly with the, um, the Wimbledon thing, this had me thinking, you know, the, I can't blame the tennis player, I don't really follow tennis, but I saw that there was a Russian tennis player who was being told that he would have to vocally 
um, disown Putin or state his opposition to the war if he were allowed to play at Wimbledon this year. Yeah. And you think, well, this, you would never get, you know, all, all sort of happened to, was it Peng Shui, whatever the, the Chinese tennis player who, went, who disappeared yeah. for, um, for saying, uh, speaking out. We never make these, we'll place these demands on people from countries with an equally repressive system of government. Well, uh, it, think, for example, about um, Islamic terrorist attacks over recent years. I mean, you, you have that, um, you have the line which is so hated. What is it? Not all, not all Muslims are terrorists, but all terrorists are Muslims. Now that, I think, quite rightly enrages a lot of people. Um, you know, it, it, it creates a sense of, well, these people clearly bad. Let's, let's hate them all um, and, and prevent them from living normal lives. Otherwise, they might blow something up. Obviously a terrible thing. And, and after every attack, you'd have great efforts and quite rightly, in fairness, so as to prevent um, unneeded hatred against normal people. Um, Almost immediately, no, the first response, actually, when you have yeah. leaders come out, it will be part of the in immediate response to anything like that. It'd be in the first statement would be to say we must, you know, keep good relations with our, our Muslim neighbours um, and not put hatred on them because they have nothing to do with it. Um, whether that needs to be said in the first statement or not is a different discussion, but the, the very basis of that statement is, of course, true. Um, yet we've forgotten about it now. So it is an interesting point about how with some, well, as you say, selective morality, with some we're able to give um, a lot of time and to put in a lot of clauses and say, mm -hmm. well, hang on a minute, let's not go over the top here. Let's still remain a, at least a modicum of respect. Whereas in this area, perhaps because of the, the recent history, where we've been moving further and further away from Russia anyway, um, in, in all senses. Perhaps because of that, it was, it was more difficult to put that argument forward and it was much yeah. easier just to tar them under the same brush. Well, I think fundamentally we know as a general population almost nothing about Russia other yeah. than it's very scary and very big. Hacking. And, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like there's, there's a, there was a Russian school near me and I know the owner. And he was getting abusive messages because mm. he's Russian and threat, you know, people are calling for the uh, school to be closed down, all this kind of thing. Half his employees are Ukrainian. Yeah, this is not some kind of, you know, and, and all these people thinking they're doing some virtuous moral deed. And we just don't, you know, we don't know much about this part of the world unless, you know, unless people actually go there and study it. It's just, um, everything's presented as a, very simple morality tale because we have one historical lesson that we bear in mind, which is from 1939 to 45. And we try and squeeze everything into that mold. And it doesn't matter how awkward or how ill-fitting it might be. We just, you know, we're good and they're bad and mm. that's it. And how have, we, how have we make that happen? That's how it's gonna happen. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think that's, uh that's a good analogy to end on since it's it's certainly the one that started all this um and for how long it'll go on who knows um but yeah i think you're right what we said at the beginning um that russia however distant it was from the west in the first place is going to be all the more so over the coming decades um possibly through most of our lifetimes but and, and you know what? it's not going to matter because they are going to be just to quickly shoehorn it in mm. this idea that we've isolated russia internationally most of the world's population is not subject to any kind of sanctions of Russia. India and China are going to have traded them happily. Most of Af well, Africa as well. You know, we, 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 it might not even matter if we become 
isolated from Russia because they're not going to be looking at us with these puppy dog eyes and tears, you know, forming. They're just going to look elsewhere. Yep. <laughs> so what's it going to matter? They've got ex- they've got export markets. They've got trading partners. I think we're it's all slightly. Hub- I, I have a strong feeling this is all incredibly hubristic. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good point to end on. So, Frederick, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll join you again next week. Cheers. Thank you.